0: Hallelujah, God is the lion and the lamb, amen? He goes from one extreme to the other. He's gentle as a lamb, he's tough as a lion, amen? He's powerful as a lion. How many believe a lion can be tough? How many believe a lamb can be gentle? That's a test and you all passed it, amen? God's a good God this morning, hallelujah. Let me ask you a uh, kind of a strange question as we get started. How many have ever heard of Michael Jordan? Anybody ever heard of Michael Jordan? Some of everybody, well, unless you're a little person, you probably have, haven't heard of Michael Jordan. But most of us have heard of Michael Jordan. But I want to go back to the Michael Jordan that was in high school, okay? Let's go back there. Not the Michael Jordan that's a superstar or was a superstar of the Chicago Bulls. But I want to go back to when Michael Jordan was a freshman in high school. If he, if he would have written a book, no one would have bought that book. Well, one person, his mama, would have brought that book, right? Mamas do that. But not a one of us in this room would have paid a penny for that book. But once Michael Jordan became the Michael Jordan, and I'll go ahead and say it, the greatest basketball player that ever lived, sorry LeBron, sorry LeBron fans, the greatest basketball player that ever lived, if he would write a book, lots of people would buy it, and he did. And so many people bought it that not only did he write that first book, he wrote a second book. He wrote a third book. He wrote a fourth book. He wrote a fifth book. He wrote, I Googled this, or Cheryl Googled it for me, 19 books total. And I'm only saying this to say, hey, um, whenever somebody gets successful, we kind of expect them to write a book. I mean, it's true about politicians, right? They're all writing books nowadays. It's true about celebrities. It's true about professional athletes. It's true about successful business people. and they write a book, we want to buy it. Because we want to know how they did it. We want to know how they were successful. We want to know what it took. We want to know how they overcame obstacles in their way, adversity in their way. Bottom line is, we just want to know how you became successful. I said all that to say this, 3,000 years ago, the most intelligent, the most successful, the richest man that ever lived, sat down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and wrote his own book. That man that I'm talking about is King Solomon. That book that he wrote was actually the book of Ecclesiastes, where he actually gives us advice and direction that he had learned many times the hard way. Advice and direction on how to live a successful life. How he overcame obstacles in his life. And he shares those experiences with us. And I think he shares those experiences with us so that we don't have to have all the failures that he had in his life. And if you remember throughout this series, we're in a series, if you don't know that by now, we're in a series on the book of Ecclesiastes, we're finding out that Solomon's message is everything under the sun or everything here on this earth minus God is nothing. Everything on this earth that we do and we try to achieve and we focus on without God is actually meaningless. Solomon sat down toward the end of his life, he was an old man, and wrote a book And I believe he wrote this book of Ecclesiastes to show us that we really can have meaning in our lives. We really can have purpose in our lives. We really can have success in our lives if God's in it. If he's not, probably not. But we can have all these things if God's in it. And in this chapter, we're going to look at one major topic. We're going to be in the chapter, uh, uh, the 10th chapter of Ecclesiastes today. We're going to look at wisdom. This was a big thing in Solomon's life. Remember the first week I I told you how God gave Solomon basically a blank check? He said, what do you want? You can have anything that you want. What did he ask for? Wisdom. What did God give him? Wisdom. But he gave him everything else you can imagine under the sun. But we're going to try to answer these questions in this message today. What does wisdom look like with us or for us in our everyday lives? How would a person, a wise person, make decisions? How would a wise person do a business or run a business? How would a wise person even speak? You may not believe it, but all these questions are answered in the 10th chapter of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon's writings in the 10th chapter of Ecclesiastes are a little bit different than they are in the other chapters. He sounds more like another book that he's written, the book of Proverbs, where you've got all of these little fortune cookie-like statements that he makes. So... Bring it up to date. Think of it as an ancient uh, Facebook post. Just think of it like that. It's a a Facebook post to us. A Twitter tweet on social media. When I think about it, maybe I should have described that a little bit differently because we know how postings on Facebook and social media can make us all look real smart, right? No. Make us look pretty dumb sometimes. But when I look at Solomon's statements that he makes, they're pretty clear. They're pretty simple and to the point. And each of them gives us a whole lot of good advice that I think we need to take more of as we go through this journey in our life ourselves. And if you've ever read Proverbs, Solomon, Solomon, Solomon gives us some of the greatest advice, and it's practical advice, some of the greatest practical advice on how to be wise. How many want to be wise in this world? I do, in a good way. How to be wise and not foolish. And I don't know about you, sometimes it's kind of hard to take advice, but I like good advice. I like advice that's short, simple, and sweet, to the point. How about this kind of advice that we get and we've heard of sometimes on a daily basis? Whenever you get depressed, listen to country music. You'll feel better because the people in the songs will always be more messed up than you are. Amen? (laughs) How true is that? (laughs) How about this one? Always buy your parents nice gifts. After all, you don't want to inherit inherit junk, right? You don't want to inherit junk. (laughs) And if you're having trouble opening up a childproof bottle, leave it in a room with the child. They'll get it done. Amen? Don't bother naming your cat. He's not going to come when you call him anyway. Amen? I think the same could be true about some of our teenagers. Amen? I'm just saying. But let's get into the message this week and listen to some advice from the smartest man that ever lived on how to be wise. I think the first thing, if you're taking notes, that Solomon is trying to tell us in this text today is watch the little things. Watch out for the little things in our life. Listen to what he says in verse 1. As dead flies cause even a bottle of perfume to stink, so a little foolishness spoils great wisdom and honor. Sounds kind of gross, but think about it. If you went out and you spent a whole lot of money on an expensive bottle of perfume and you opened it up and there's a dead decomposing fly on the top of it, I'm guessing you're probably not going to use that for for perfume, amen? Amen. I'm just guessing, no matter how small uh, that fly might be, you're probably not going to use it. I think the point Solomon is making is actually the little things make a big difference. The little things make a huge difference. Think of your life. Isn't it the little things that you've run across in your life or dealt with in your life that have caused some of the biggest problems in your life? It reminds me of an illustration I heard about a tree. It's called the death of a tree. It said this little tree started out as a seedling on the slopes of a mountain. And for over a hundred years, this giant tree stood majestically against the elements. It had overcome storms. It had overcome lightning strikes. They didn't destroy it. They scarred it. You could see the marks of every lightning strike that it was hit with. It was not brought down by the winter weather, it said, and the 60 feet of snowfall that it endured or the blizzard conditions. Avalanches and rock slides couldn't destroy it although you could see their scars on its trunk also. But what, viol- fi- what finally destroyed this majestic tree, a horde of little beetles attacked it. And little by little, from the inside out, the life of that true tree was slowly eaten away. Little by little, the heart of that tree began to decay. And finally, after all that it had endured, that giant tree came crashing down, it became nothing but a heap of rotten, useless, dead wood. And in the end, it wasn't what that tree could have been that mattered. It wasn't what that tree was in the height of its existence. What mattered in the end was that that wood of that tree had become nothing. Useful for nothing. Useless. Rotten. No purpose at all. So what do dead flies in the perfume and dead wood of the tree have in common? They both started out as something very useful. But because of the little things they allowed into their life, they became useless. Useless for anything. It destroyed them. And the sad thing is this morning, I'm not just talking about a dead tree. I'm talking about lives. I'm talking about people today. The sad part is if we let the little things in our lives that shouldn't be in our lives be in our lives, it can destroy our lives. That person with lung cancer thought that first cigarette was a small thing. That alcoholic thought that first drink was a small thing. That person looking at their marriage totally destroyed Thought that one night stand was a small thing. The truth is that so many times it's that one step, that one little step in the wrong direction that undoes all the right steps in the right direction. It's that one little bad decision that we make that undoes all of the good decisions in our lives. Listen to what Solomon says in the Song of Solomon, another book that he wrote. Chapter 2, verse 15. He says, it's the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. Another translation says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. He's basically saying, it's the little things in life that get us down, that take us down. The minute, microscopic things that can destroy a home, can destroy a family, destroy a relationship, destroy a marriage, stagnate churches, destroy our walk with God. You know, when Satan attacks us as a roaring lion, we kind of expect that, and we respond with prayer. But when he attacks us as a little fox, sometimes we're not even paying attention. We don't even realize that he's attacking. It's so sly. It's so subtle. We're not prepared. We don't even see it coming. Think about small things. The atom bomb was a small thing, but it caused the island of Japan to to surrender in a few minutes. I mean, a fleet is a small thing, but if you put enough of them together, they can kill a dog. Do you realize that? A termite is a small insect, but if you get enough of them together, and if they're ignored, they can take down a three-story house. What am I saying? What, What is Solomon saying? In life, you and I need to be watchful. We need to watch for those little things that can actually come into our lives. Maybe we're not even aware of them sometimes, and can actually start to eat away at the heart of our life, like that big tree. Little by little, take us down. The second point, if you're taking notes, we need to stay on the right road. Solomon's saying you've, got to, saying you've got to stay on the right road. Look at verse 2. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. You know, when I think politically, and I don't like to do that very often, but I can't believe the Republican Party hasn't grabbed a hold of that one. Amen? Think about it. I'm surprised that they haven't put that on all their fires and all that, trying to prove that Jesus was a Republican. Let's just say that and he wasn't, okay? But I can't believe they haven't tried it. But you know how we all put people in different categories, don't we? I mean, we've got pretty people, and we've got uh, not-so-pretty people. Amen? We've got pretty people. We've got people that aren't so pretty. We've got rich people. We've got poor people. We've got smart people, and we've got some people that are pretty not-so-smart. I'll just put it that way. And the truth is, all of us aren't supermodels walking around, right? But thank God most of us don't scare small children when they see us, amen? I'm just saying. But when it comes to people, I said all that to say when it comes to people on Solomon's scale, none of those other categories matter. He says, throw them all out the window. There's only two kinds of people that matter to Solom, Solomon, wise people and foolish people. You've got the wise people, you've got the foolish. Listen to how this uh, same verse is translated in another translation says a wise person chooses the right road a fool takes the wrong one the right wise person chooses the right road a fool takes another road i don't know about you but as a follower of christ i want my life to be defined by wisdom not my wisdom but by god's wisdom i want my life to be led by god's wisdom how many have ever heard of andy stanley great pastor great author son of the uh, awesome minister charles stanley But he wrote a book one time described as a revolutionary approach to decision-making. And the title of that book is The Best Question Ever. Do you know what uh, Andy Stanley said was the best question ever? He said, this is the best question ever. What is the wise thing to do? When you're in a situation you've got a choice to make, what's the wise thing to do? And he follows it up and he says, if we're not careful, we will allow the pressures, the fears, and the circumstances of today to drive us to make decisions That we will regret tomorrow. How true is that? I think that's pretty good advice because the wise thing to do is always going to be the right thing to do. I didn't say it'd be the easy thing to do, but it's going to be the right thing to do. So whenever you're dealing with a critical decision, and we won't limit it to that, even a small decision, if you're wise, you're going to take the right road. If you're wise, you're going to take the right path. The only problem with us is there are so many paths in life. There are so many different roads in life, and there are so many exits that we could get off on. Amen? Think about all levels of our life, our dating life, our married life, our social life, our spiritual life. It comes down to making good decisions and good choices. You know, we can ask ourselves the question, should I pad my expense account? Should should I understate my income? Should I take a chance of seeing this woman or meeting this woman alone? Should I try this drink or do I try that drug? Do I compromise somewhere between right and wrong or whatever it might be? But Solomon steps in and says, wait a minute. He steps in and says, if you're wise, you're going to take the right road. If you're wise, you're going to make the right decision. But when I think about that from Solomon, I'm thinking that's easier said than done. He didn't even do that all the time. Amen? How hard is it? You know, I found to keep myself on the right road sometimes with choices and situations I find myself in, I've got to ask myself some questions sometime. Maybe these questions will help you. Number one, I ask myself this question, will this cause me to compromise my character? Whatever it is, if I make a wrong decision, will this cause me to compromise my character and become somebody that God says I'm not? Could this put me in a potentially bad and dangerous situation? Another question is, could this hurt my influence with others? And this is a big one. Will this draw me closer to God? Or will this drive me further away? And I believe if you could take all four of those questions and answer them honestly and do the right thing, I believe they'll keep you on the right path. They'll keep you on the right road in life. The third principle, if you're taking notes, Solomon says, know who's in charge. Listen to what he says in verse 5. There's another evil I have seen under the sun. Kings and rulers make a grave mistake when they give great authority to foolish people. Another translation says, fools are put in many high positions. And it says, and low positions to people of proven worth. He's saying you basically have the wrong people in the wrong positions. He says, I have seen servants riding horseback like princes. I've seen princes walking like servants. So what's Solomon talking about? He's talking about leadership. He's talking about good leaders. He's talking about bad leaders. He's talking about good leadership, bad leadership. How many of you have ever seen the show, The Office? Anybody ever see that show? They put Michael Scott in as regional manager of Dunder Mifflin, the paper company. And if you've ever worked in a company or in an office or a warehouse, the things that this guy does and says are painful. They are. He'll make comments that would drive any somewhat politically correct person insane. I mean, he makes a comment, and then he tries to fix it, and he makes it worse. Well, whenever I watch that show, I think, how in the world does a man like Michael Scott get put in as regional manager? And I'm thinking, well, isn't that what Solomon is saying right here? You've got the wrong person in the wrong place guiding your life. Because if there's anyone that needs wisdom, it's somebody in authority. Anyone that needs wisdom is somebody in a leadership position. It's true of a ruler of a nation, CEO of a company, pastor of a church needs that wisdom. The head of a small business, even the coach of an athletic team's team, they all need Wisdom. One of the marks, the greatest marks of a wise leader is he knows good people. He knows how important it is to put the right people around him. Amen? They work as a team together. So no matter how strong you are, smart you are, or how good you are, you're never going to be stronger, smarter, or better than the people that are under you or around you. You're never going to be better than those people that surround you, that work on your team. Motivational speaker Jim Rohn said one time, we are the average of the five people we spend the most amount of time with. We are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. He says, when it comes to relationships, we are greatly influenced, whether we like it or not, by those closest to us. Do you realize we're mostly influenced by the people that are closest to us? I mean, we've got people in our lives that affect our thinking, our choices, our decisions, our decisions. And of course, we all have our own mind, but studies show that we are definitely influenced by our environment more than we believe or more than we accept or even think. So my question is today, you don't have to blurt it out, but think about it. Who's got your five? Who's your five in your life? Who are the five people that are the most influential in your life, good or bad? I mean, think about who you've got surrounding your life. Drop down to verse 16. He says, Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. That sounds a little confusing. A lot of things that Solomon writes are confusing. That's why I'm thankful for other Bible translations. Listen to this one, it puts it in more perspective. Unlucky the land whose king is a young pup and whose princes party all night. Lucky the land whose king is mature, where the princes behave themselves and don't drink themselves silly. Solomon is saying the sign of a good leader is a mature leader. The sign of a good leader is someone that exercises self-control. That leader needs to be a person or surrounding himself with people that know when it's time to work, they work, and they only play when it's time to play. Think about making a decision to find a good leader. The most important decision about finding a good leader is not what political party they belong to. It's not about uh, how smart they are. It's not about uh, what gender they are or what race they are. The biggest question is, who's best fit for the job? Who's the best leader that could be the leader? So you've got to know who to put in charge of your life. And the bottom line is we have a lot of good leaders in our life, but the bottom line, you've got to go deep enough and let put God in charge. You've got to have God in charge of your life. The fourth principle, work smarter, not harder. How many have ever tried to work really hard and found out you didn't really work that smart? Amen? Somebody, a good friend of mine told me once, one time, give the hardest job to the laziest man and he'll find out a way to do it. Amen? And he'll do it the best way. It reminds me of a rule in carpentry, measure twice, cut once. Measure twice, cut once. That's why some of you have to go back to the lumberyard time after time again. You're only measuring once and you're cutting twice, amen? But listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 8. Whoever digs a pit falls into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. And whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. I'll make it simple. Solomon is saying, before you do anything, be careful what you're doing. Watch out what you're doing and be wise. In every activity, Solomon is basically describing people that, oh, they're willing to work hard, but they're not working very smart. Do You realize if you've got a critical decision in your life, take your time. Don't just rush into that decision. How many have made a mistake when you rushed into a decision? Take your time, step back and say, hey, wait a minute. Am I overlooking something? Am I missing something here? Will something backfire on me here? Will there be negative consequences to that decision? So take your time. You might miss something. But in that verse, he says, one man dug a pit. It could have been a pit for a well. It could have been a pit to store grain in. But it says he fell into it all because he lacked wisdom and wasn't really paying attention to where he was going. Another man, says he was re- another man. it says, was remodeling a house, was tearing down a wall. Sticks his hand into a hole and gets bit by a snake. We know snakes hide in holes, right? In crevices, in hiding places. So this man wasn't being very careful. Then there's a picture of a man who's trying to split wood with a dull axe. It says in verse 10, If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill will bring success. This guy thinks if he chops a little bit harder, it'll make his job go a little faster. How many have ever seen that show, I think it's on History Channel, about the loggers? Anybody ever see that show? They've got amazing tools to take down these huge giant trees, but among those tools, there's not a butter knife among those tools, okay? How many know you cannot chop down a tree with a butter knife? There's nothing sinful about butter knife logging, I'm not saying that, I am saying, I'm saying that it's just not very wise it's just not very smart. You can try to chop or saw or cut all day long and you're not even going to put a dent in the bark of that tree with a butter knife. I said all that to say some of us operate through life like we're butter knife loggers. I mean, we're doing everything we can, working really hard, but in in an unproductive way. I'll say that. We've got a lot of wasted steps in our lives. There's a lot of wasted time and energy that we expend and get minimal, if any, results. Remember the first week, or maybe the second week of our series, I talked about how it's like running on a treadmill. You can expend a lot of energy. You can sweat a lot of sweat. But in the end, you look down, you're still in the same spot. Amen? You've gone nowhere. It's like you've been running in circles. How many have ever experienced that in life? That it seems like the harder you try, it seems like I'm still, I've gotten nowhere. I'm still running in a circle. I think we can all relate to that. Many times we put all of our heart into it, energy into it, and we've gone nowhere. So how can we make our lives more efficient? I believe God is asking us that question through Solomon. I believe that's the point he's driving at this morning. And I believe the answers are pretty personal and pretty practical. I mean, it can be as simple as organizing your home. Maybe some of us just need to get our home in order, our house in order. Maybe we need to organize our workspace or our calendars, our schedule. Maybe you need to set a time, a little more time to read God's Word and to prayer. Maybe it's as simple as you need to go to bed a little earlier so you can get up and not be grouchy the next day, be a little bit more refreshed for the next day. But I believe Solomon is telling us all in a practical way we need to learn to find ways to be more efficient in life on all levels, especially our spiritual level. And we're only going to do that by doing things God's way. I like verse 11. It says, if a snake bites before it's charmed, the charmer receives no fee. I think outside the box here a little bit. It says, if a snake bites before it's charmed, the charmer receives no fee. I'm thinking, no, duh. I'm thinking if that's a poisonous snake, he's dead. You don't have to worry about paying him, right? I'm not sure that's exactly what Solomon meant, but that's where I went. But in today's world, snake charming isn't uh, uh, one of the uh, popular career paths. I'll just put it that way, amen? But back in ancient times... There were a lot of snake charmers, and the goal of a snake charmer was actually to get the snake to do what they wanted him to do. A real snake charmer had a gift of charming snakes, and in this verse, I believe this charmer had the ability, but he didn't use it, and what good did it do him? You know, I might have, and I stress the might, I might have some geniuses sitting out here with all the brains in the world, but if you're not using those brains, what good is it doing? Amen? I see the geniuses shaking, that's right. What good is it doing? It's doing nobody any good. You can have all the potential, you can have all the ability in the world, but if you don't use it, guess what? It doesn't do any good. We might have the tools that we need, but if you don't use them, they're doing you no good, they're getting you nowhere. That's what Solomon is saying. What good is unused wisdom? It's available. And I'm not talking about man's wisdom. I'm talking about God's wisdom. It's available. What, what good is it if we don't tap into it? All of these things Solomon is uh, making a point of, I think makes his point even more clear. Don't just work hard, work smarter. Don't just work hard, work smarter. Be prepared and be watchful. Watch out for the small things because it's going to make a lot of things a lot easier. Let me just say this. When I think of all these things that Solomon says, he confuses me a little bit. He's so smart And the way he talks, I have trouble reading his words. But he's basically saying, after all that I tried, I found out that I was working extra hard and getting nowhere. After all of these efforts I was making, it was like running on a treadmill. Solomon realized finally, I can't do one thing on my own, with my own intellect, with my own ability, my own potential. I've got to depend upon God. And do you realize that's what God created us to be and who God created us to be, to need Him, to depend upon Him, to trust in Him, and to not live a day or breathe a breath without Him? The fifth principle, if you're taking notes. Watch your words. Watch your words. How many know words can be instructive and words can be destructive? Words can be instructive or they can be destructive. Listen to what he says in verse 12. Wise words bring approval, but foolish words... But fools are destroyed by their own words. Fools base their thoughts on foolish assumptions, so their conclusions will be wicked madness. Or he's saying they'll just be crazy, chaotic. They chatter on and on. No one really knows what is going to happen, and no one can predict the future. Let me get a little personal here. How many of you have ever been busted for saying something that you shouldn't have said? Anybody? Anybody ever opened your mouth and stuck your foot in it? Amen? Some of you are liars. Amen? (laughs) Amen? We've all done that. How many times have you walked into a room and you saw a group of people dogging on, a group of nine people dogging on one person, and you come in and you make one little minute comment, and it's that comment that got back to the person. You were busted, amen? That happens. Then you get all mad, frustrated, and think, this is so unfair. Well, I've got one way to tell you. Actually, two words that tell you how not to ever have or allow that to happen again. Shut up. Shut up! Stop talking! Stop gossiping! Get you a lot further. Someone once told me that it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're stupid, than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Amen. Something like that. But look at verse twenty. There's still another reason we should why we should always say the right thing. He says, "Do not revile the king even in your thoughts, or curse the rich in your bedroom." Because a bird of the air may carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you say. That goes right along with the little expression we use, a little birdie told me so. A little birdie told me. Think about it. Tweet, Twitter. How many people use social media and tweet in here? You know, I think about my life, and I think I do a pretty decent job of not bad pe- bad-mouthing people even when I could, <laughs> even when my mind is kind of running in that direction. I do a pretty good job of trying to control myself and at least not saying it. But Solomon is saying, don't say it. Not even, he said, the wise man won't even say it if he's laying on his bed all alone at night. He won't even go there. I read this and I'm thinking, we're all busted on that one. We're all busted on that one. Because how many times have you had a confrontation with somebody? How many times have you had a confrontation with somebody and you're playing it over in your mind? Maybe when you go to bed. Man, I missed an opportunity for that one. I could have hit him with that one. I could have said this. I could have said that. Man, that would have been a zinger. Solomon says, wait a minute. That's not the wise way to handle things. He says, I don't battle with flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities of darkness. He said, yeah, I might be mad at that person, but there's something bigger going on. So the wise person, he says, says that I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for their heart. And guess what? I'm going to pray for my heart. You know, I might be wrong in what I'm thinking. I might be wrong in what I'm doing. Solomon says we need to step back and take the course of the wise man. Take the path of the wise man. Because the truth is, what we say has a way of coming back to haunt us. Do you realize that? What we say a lot of times has a way of getting back to the person we made fun of, that we criticize, that we rail against. And guess what? It doesn't only hurt them. It comes back and it hurts us both. No one's a winner in that situation. So I think as wise people, we should always remember, be careful what you say, because you never know who's listening. You never know who's listening. A wise person knows that just one wrong word, said it in the wrong place at the wrong time to the wrong person, could become a bomb that blows up your family, could blow up your friends, could blow up your relationships. I'm going to test some of your ages right now. How many of you remember that singing group, Brother and Sister Team, the Carpenters? Anybody remember that team? You're old. Amen. Just like me, I remember them. But the singer Karen Carpenter actually died when she was only 32 years old, I found out. I didn't even remember that, but 32 years old. And it was brought on by by an eating disorder that she had had for many years. And after she died, it was found out that her fatal obsession with her weight was actually triggered one time when an interviewer, a reporter, came to interview her and her brother Richard, and he called her Richard's chubby sister. She never got over that. I'm not saying there weren't other contributing factors to her struggles. There were. But this one comment unleashed a flurry of, uh, of self-esteem issues, insecurity issues that actually led to her eating disorder that eventually led to her death. How many remember as kids? How many remember as kids when uh, we had that little saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Whoever said that didn't know what they were talking about, right? I mean, think about it. Words are powerful. Words can destroy a heart. Words can destroy a life. Words can destroy a spirit. Yeah, physical bones, they'll mend in time. But someone with a broken spirit, a broken heart, guess what? That may never mend. That may never repair. So our words, we've got to guard our words, people. Guard our words because even a few words can have a huge impact, positive or negative, on us and on the people around us. Listen to what James, a very wise man, said in James 3.5. Our mouth is like a small rudder that turns a whole ship. That's pretty powerful, amen? It's also like one spark that sets a whole forest ablaze. Our words are powerful. You may not realize it, but our words can be encouraging. We can admonish people with them. We can comfort people. We can give peace, hope, joy to people. On the other hand, our words can be words of discouragement, division, condemnation that destroy not only us, but other people's lives. So go back to the fly in the ointment. Go back to the fly in the ointment. It only takes, I'll say one, harsh or careless word, to undo in a second what it took years for somebody to build. Our words are powerful. Our words can derail somebody's life. Our words can alter the direction of not only our lives, but the lives of others. You might be sitting here and thinking, I'm not even sure why I came. All these things he's talking about are just small things. Don't even amount to much. Not that important. And they're surely not that spiritual. Okay, if they're not that spiritual, why did God put them in His book? I think they're that important that he highlighted them in his book through Solomon's life. And when you think small things don't matter, let me ask you this. Can you name the creature that's the most destructive creature and deadly creature on earth to human beings? You're probably going, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, amen. You're probably thinking, poisonous snakes, sharks, you'd be wrong. The most deadly creature on this planet that none of us really even feared that much, throughout history, mosquitoes. Mosquitoes have killed more people than all of our wars combined. That little insect will leave over 300 million people sick this year. And it's killed millions and millions of people in third world countries, Africa, southern uh, uh, South America. That little creature has done so much devastation. So what's that tell you? In the natural, small things matter. In the spiritual, small things matter. And I believe Solomon is saying right now that the small things matter. We need to watch out for those small things in our lives that will creep in, like that little group of beetles that took down that giant majestic tree. we got to be careful not to let those little things in our life that we might not even recognize as dangerous in the beginning. We need to recognize them before they get there, to not let them into our lives. And I believe Solomon is saying we need to get all the wisdom that we can get. Amen? Get all the wisdom that you can get. Store it up in your life. Be ready and be prepared. Don't just wait for Satan to attack you like a roaring lion. Watch for him to come in that that little subtle way. And be ready. Be prepared. But the thing that Solomon found out was man's wisdom doesn't count on the big picture. In the big picture. It's God's wisdom that counts. And you and I can't do a thing on our own. Amen? If you agree with that, say amen with me. Could you stand to your feet? I want to go to God in prayer, and I just believe that we all need more wisdom. I need more wisdom. So if I need it, I know you all need it. We need it for everyday life. So this morning as I'm praying this prayer, I just want you to bow your hearts in prayer, and I want you to invite Jesus to come in, to give you the wisdom to make the right decisions that you need to make on every level, in every situation. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that You would put a hunger in every one of us for Your wisdom. Not our wisdom, but Your wisdom. Father, that will lead us to the kind of life, to be the kind of person that You planned and designed us to be. Father, help us to be watchful for those little things that try to distract us, try to derail us, try to get us off course. Lord, lead us down the right roads, down the right paths, by seeking Your wisdom, so that we can be used by You to reflect Your love, Your glory, Your precious presence, to the world around us. Father God, I pray that You would use the lessons that we're reading about in Solomon's life, that he learned the hard way, so that we can avoid the pitfalls that he went through and not make the same mistakes that he made. Father, I pray that You would help us to know deep down in our spirits today that we can only have the life You want us to have by drawing near to Your heart. I pray that everyone in this place right now would draw near to Your heart. In the name of Jesus, Father, we need Your wisdom. We need Your guidance. We need Your direction. And when we walk out of here today, I pray that Your wisdom goes with us. Father God, we're going to encounter uh, temptations this week. We're going to make decisions and choices this week that we need to make the right choices and the right decisions on. Father, I pray that You would guide us. Give us sensitive hearts to follow Your direction. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Go out and change the world for Jesus. God bless you all.